Hey, it's Hayley here. Before we get into this episode, I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying this season, please share it on your Instagram stories or leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast app to help other people find the show. Hi, I'm Hayley Dunn, and this is Beyond Reality, the podcast that explores the world of television production by chatting to the people behind the TV shows you love. In this episode, LA-based producer Andrea Rerig joins me to chat about her career in television, from her early days at E! Entertainment and Laguna Beach to producing on both US and Australian Survivor. She shares her story about how her passion for people led her to a life in TV. I knew I wanted to help people, whether it was selling them the perfect pair of shoes or bringing them their favorite tacos. I would wanted to make people happy. And if you get the opportunity to do that in any capacity while making television, then I think you're winning. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Haley. This is fun. <laughs> I'm so glad that my months of hassling you to come on my podcast have finally paid off and you're here. You wore me thin. I finally caved. <laughs> now you are in San Diego at the moment, aren't you? I'm in San Diego at the moment. Yes, this is where I've been doing my quarantining and right in this pandemic out. So usually you spend most of your time in LA. Correct. So I've been based in LA for the last 17-ish years. Originally hailing from Kansas City, Missouri. What up, Casey? (laughs) Well, I guess for me, like I'm really interested in talking to you about your experience because most of your career has actually been in the American television industry, but you've also had some experience working on Australian production. So I guess that's kind of what I think it will be really interesting to talk to you about. But before we get into all that, I want to start by asking the question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Did you always want to work in TV? Short answer, no. <laughs> Once I realized what it was, then then yes, for sure. But no, originally I did not set out to work in TV. I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a long time. I actually went to a couple different universities and I started out as an art major. I fancied myself quite the artist when I was younger. And with the encouragement of, of my parents loving all of my homemade like birthday cards, and anniversary cards that I would make <laughs> on construction paper for them, they really uh, planted the seed that I was this great artist. So I started out um, as an art major and then that didn't really pan out because I learned pretty quickly it takes more than just construction paper cutouts to make it in the art world. So I jumped ship on that and I actually ended up studying early childhood and development. Did you want to be a teacher? I thought I wanted to be a teacher. More specifically, I thought I wanted to go into social work. Yeah, so there's a wide variety of things you can do with that degree. You know, I I thought about going into like relationship or like, you know, marriage, family counseling or some sort of social work. And the more I got into it, as much as I wanted to help people, it just felt a little sad. So ultimately, I think I, I wanted to work with people. I always knew that I was good with people. I knew I wanted to help people in some capacity in any way that I could. And then I graduated college, cutting back to like maybe a year Prior to that, I had spent the summer living in New York with my older sister. My older sister had worked in television and uh, it was before my senior year of college. And she was like, you're not doing anything in Kansas City for the summer. Why don't you come out here, spend the summer with me? And I was like, what am I going to do? I want to be so bored. My last summer before I graduate, I want to hang out with my friends. And she's like, oh my God, your friends are going to be there. Just get out of there. Just do something else, you know? She was already thinking about my future, my career, even though I wasn't. So I was making plans to go out there and spend the summer with her. And she was like, well, maybe before 
you come out here so you're not just sitting around all day doing nothing, try to get an internship somewhere, you know? And I was like, what, what kind of internship would I even get? And, I, and again, at the time, I didn't know if I really wanted to do anything in my degree. I knew that I wanted to do it enough to like get through the next semester and graduate. She's like, it doesn't have to be an internship in the field you're, you know, you're studying. She's like, it can be anything. It could be at a radio station, at a TV network, you know, something just out of the box, something cool that might be different and fun for you. It's like, oh, that would be cool. So I started thinking about it and she just kind of gave me a few ideas. She's like, there's Nickelodeon, there's MTV, there's E-Networks. Like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. So I think maybe she got me some phone numbers. I ended up calling E-Networks and I didn't know anything. I was like, hey, so... I am about to be a senior in college and I heard that you guys do uh, these things called internships and um, I was just wondering if you guys need any sort of summer interns and they were like yeah sure what, what are you looking for are you looking for like sales or production and literally I knew nothing about the world of television at the time I didn't know what the difference was between sales versus production and so I was just like a deer in the headlights I was like uh uh I I what would you recommend? And the guy was like, okay. So sales is more marketing and numbers and production is where you actually get to make the television. The more creative side. I was like, yes, that one. Will you put me through <laughs> to that line, please? And he's like, oh my God, who is this person? Sure. So I think he felt sorry for me, patched me through, through like a slew of, you know, leaving messages and back and forth. I somehow got a phone interview with one of the, like the executives who overrun the E office in New York. Anyway, so I did this phone interview with them. Um, I guess I didn't totally bomb it. He called me like four days later asking me how soon could I be in New York? So I went out there for the summer. I did this internship there at E, learned so much much. It never crossed my mind that I wanted to work in television. So actually, going back to your last question, did I always want to work in TV? Maybe I guess this would have been the first my first experience and the first time that I thought maybe I did. Yeah. And at the time, what was your sister working on? At the time, my sister was a news producer at CNBC. She was working there for several several years. And, you know, so television was always kind of my sister's thing. And all the more being the, the younger sibling, you know, I didn't want to follow in my big sister's footsteps and do TV just because that's what she was doing. But I guess it just had never really occurred to me to, to do it maybe for that reason, because I did kind of want to pave my own way. Yeah. Do you think your sister saw something in you that, you know, you would be suited to television when she sort of suggested getting that internship? You know, that's really interesting. We've never talked about it. She definitely could have. I think that that's possible. And I also think that maybe she was kind of doing the big sister kind of maternal kind of concerned thing. Like maybe she just wanted me to go out and see the world and go out and realize that there's more to life than just the, the small town that I was from. She knew that there were more opportunities to do things that maybe she thought were better suited for me outside of Kansas City is what I think. Yeah. What was the internship that you were doing when you were in New York City? So back then, E! had a show called E! News Daily. It was basically almost like a catch-up of the day of all the, like, the celebrity gossip. I was a news intern, and so... You know, I started out, I think, logging tapes and, you know, going through B-roll, trying to find certain shots. And I learned what, what a pan was. And I learned what B-roll was. And I remember asking my assignment editor, so what is A-roll? And he was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and I was like, I understand what B-roll is now, but what's A-roll and C-roll? And he was, he really thought that I was being a smart ass. He's like, okay, I don't have time for this right now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I was just literally that naive. I didn't know anything. 
anyway, so I was basically just, you know, doing anything from getting the bagels ready for Bagel Tuesday to making copies to scrubbing through footage, looking for certain shots or certain bites and logging, transcribing, you know, th- that that kind of stuff. And that was an unpaid internship? It was an unpaid internship. I went two days a week and then to supplement the expensive New York living, even though I was sharing a bedroom with my older sister inside of a three bedroom, teeny tiny Manhattan apartment. I ended up getting a job at a restaurant on the Upper West Side a few nights a week. So that was my, my paid gig. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that kind of gave you a glimpse into the world of television and it made you sort of start to think about maybe that's something you could do. But at the same time, it wasn't like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. For sure. I think if anything, it showed me that there was a lot more out there that I had previously known about. Yeah. And I love that you were sort of living in Kansas. You were doing your course at college and yeah, the whole working at E in New York was just kind of, oh, that's something fun to do over the summer. Totally. Yeah, I really didn't think anything of it. I really thought it would just be like, if, if nothing else, oh, it'll be good for my resume for whatever job I may eventually land. I never, ever dreamed that that would be my stepping stone to where I am now, almost like 20 years later. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how, how things work, especially because I, you know, I didn't go to school for it. So I did this internship and I moved back to Kansas City, which is not known. There's no industry. There's no tell or at the time, there's no television industry in Missouri. And so I moved back there and I was like, man, if I want to do something with this, I kind of got to go, you know, either back to New York or somewhere else. And then I graduated college, wasn't really sure how I wanted to use my degree. If I wanted to use my degree, I was actually working retail at um, this big department store here called Nordstrom with these three girls who were my age, had just graduated college, didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. were just kind of, you know, biding the time before they had to figure something out. And this was in like November in, you know, the dead of winter one year in a Missouri winter. Missouri is like, it's the middle of the country. It's the Midwest. It gets super, super hot and humid in the summer and super, super cold and depressing in the winter. And we were experiencing one of those cold, dark winters. And I was at work one day working with these girls and we just got to talking and we were like, you know what? What are we doing? We don't know what we're doing with our lives. We're, we're working retail. We're selling jeans to people. Like, let's have an adventure. Let's, let's go out west. Let's leave this cold and the snow behind us. And And we all, four of us out of our department, there were actually five of us in the department. Our manager wanted to actually die when we told her we were all leaving. (laughs) Four out of the five in the department all decided to get up and just move out west. So we all caravaned to LA like maybe a month and a half later. And I've kind of been out here in SoCal ever since. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And again, you know, didn't know what what I wanted to do with my degree. I just knew that I, I love where I'm from and I love going back and visiting. And I'm so proud of how I was raised and growing up where I grew up, but I knew I just kind of wanted something a little different and wanted more. So I knew I just needed to move before I decided anything else about my career. So you get to LA with all your friends and then what happens next for you? So we get to LA, we landed jobs back at at the Nordstrom in LA, just for the time being just to pay rent. And then in the meantime, very near our house, I had noticed like in walking distance, that's where the E Network's headquarters were. The building was maybe like three blocks from our house. And I was like, oh, well, this is ironic. So I walked in there one day with my then resume, which was printed out and it consisted of, I think I had a couple like restaurant jobs on there, a couple tanning salon <laughs> jobs on there. I mean, I didn't know. I think it was just naive. 
naive. I think I was just dumb and ignorant and I didn't know I was a kid. God, I mean, I sound like Dorothy from Kansas, but I really just didn't know how all this worked. And so I walked in there up to the receptionist and I'm like, hi, I would like to apply for a job. Okay. And mind you, this is the flagship. This is, you know, the corporate headquarters for e-entertainment. So it's this ginormous building, you know, like 30 floors, whatever. And I waltzed in like, you know, hand in my resume. I'm like, here you go. I would like to apply for a job, please. And this receptionist is like, uh, okay, like in what department, what show, do you have a contact? Do you have an appointment with somebody? What is your mission here? And I was like, oh, um, I, I don't know. I just, I uh, did an internship with E in New York. And, you know, I saw that you guys are E here in LA. And so I'm here. And if you need any help, I am down the street and <laughs> ready to work. And she's like, oh my God, where are you from? So again, I think that she felt sorry for me. She's like, look, here's what I'm going to do. She has me write down my information on a piece of paper. She tells me to bring it to some guy in the mailroom and she was going to have him bring it up to one of her friends who was an executive producer at E at the time who was looking for a production assistant. And I was like, oh, production assistant, that sounds fancy. Yeah, I'd be into that. And so she's like, look, I'm not promising anything, but, you know, I got a stack of resumes this high and, you know, but you came in at the right time. We'll see what we can do. It's like, sure, cool. I love the idea that you marched your way into e-headquarters. The visual for me, I mean, because you're, you know, five foot two, I can just picture you with your resume in hand, walking in there and basically demanding a job. That's pretty much what it was. I was like, hi, I'm here. I live down the street. It only makes sense that I work here. I did an internship in New York. So here I am. You're welcome. When do I start? Was pretty much how that went. And I really never thought about it again. I didn't know how things worked getting into TV, but I was pretty sure that wasn't it. So I really didn't expect too much to come from that. And then maybe like a week or so later, one of the producers from E! called me and saying, hey, you know, we'd like for you to come in and uh, an interview for this role, for a production assistant role. It's like, yeah, sounds great. I went in, I interviewed and the name of the show, it was actually for their sister network, for the Style Network. It was called Style Star. It was a show that pretty much highlighted the fashion evolution of the stars. So maybe one episode would be Kira Knightley. And it would show, you know, her first red carpet event when she was 15. Fast forward to her red carpet looks today. So my job was to go and look in all the old archives of all these certain celebrities and magazines and all these old, you know, award shows. I was like, this sounds like a dream. You're going to pay me to do this. It sounds amazing. So I started there and that was my very first paid job in television. I just love that. I love that you kind of didn't really know what you were doing. You stumbled your way into e-headquarters and by just not really knowing how things work, you kind of managed to stand out by sort of presenting yourself and kind of, I don't know, jumping the queue a little bit. I definitely jumped the queue. <laughs> I mean, again, I didn't realize that I was doing that, but that's, that's 100% what I did. Yeah, and it obviously paid off. Like, what do you think they saw in you to basically be like, yeah, let's give this girl a shot? I honestly don't know. And I, I've told this story to a lot of people and most of them are pretty dumbfounded that this is really how, how it all happened. But I don't know. So when I think about it, I think either of two things. I think honestly, either this girl just really just felt sorry for me. She was like, man, this chick has no idea. I'm going to throw her a bone and help her out because somebody needs to. Or I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe she was like, you know what? 
it does take some balls to just come in here fresh off the boat from Missouri, not knowing anything, and just come in here and like she owns a place and, and hand me a resume thinking that she's going to get somewhere, you know? I think it's either either she she liked my ballsiness or she felt sorry for me. I think it's one of those two. So, basically, you had your interview, you landed the job as a production assistant on Style Star. What was that like? It was awesome. I loved it. It was so much fun. I felt like I had made it, honestly. For someone who wasn't trying to make it, um, <laughs> I felt like I had. I was making a whopping 400 bucks a week, and I couldn't have been happier. I was working in these beautiful offices. I never worked in like a big office before. My team was great and I loved the work. I got to interact with a lot of the celebrities who we were doing the episodes on and you know, anything from going shopping for their crafty that we provided in their green room to just kind of like babysitting them and sitting with, with them to doing printouts and helping my, my associate producer with anything she needed, like writing blurbs. It was a similar experience, I guess, to the internship I'd had just in the sense that it was also new to me because I, I hadn't done anything like this before ever and I didn't learn about any of this stuff in school so I was really just learning on the job. What were some of the celebrities that you had to look after in your time? So this was 2004 I think so we had actually we had Brandy come in. Oh she was big. He was big and Brandy's personal assistant at the time who I met and hung out with during the shoot was Kim Kardashian. Stop it. Yeah, before she was Kim Kardashian. And I remember just thinking, this girl is so sweet and she was stunning. She appeared to have no makeup on, but perfect skin. Her hair was pulled back in a tight ponytail. She had a matching bright orange, one of those fleece juicy couture. Do you remember those sets with the zip up hoodies and the hairy cloth pants? She had one of those outfits on and I just thought she was the sweetest, nicest and most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. That stuck out in my mind. That is amazing. It was pretty amazing. Also, it was one of my earlier brushes with any sort of people of celebrity status. And so, you know, it was really interesting to see the differences. Like some people would come in with a full entourage of hair, makeup, and, you know, wardrobe, whatever. And then some people like Molly Sims shows up not only on time, but early by herself, does her own hair, does her own makeup, has her own outfits, picked out ready to go. Okay, put my jeans on. These shoes are these shoes. You like these better for camera? Great. I'll go with these. Like it was just, it was really interesting just to see like, you know, in essence, like they are just like us, like they are normal people, but they just have these jobs, which puts them on display and puts them in the public eye. It it was really interesting. I love that you were dealing with Kim Kardashian as the PA to Brandy and Kim Kardashian, like fast forward to now is one of the biggest celebrities in the world. It's crazy. It's insane. At the time, I I just knew her as Kim, obviously. (laughs) Didn't know anything about her. You know, I didn't hear her name again until maybe, it wasn't that long after. So this was 2004. It was maybe a year or two later, I started hearing more about Kim. It was always Kim and then the Kardashians. The whole family kind of blew up in later years, but yeah. And you dealt with a lot of celebrities on that show. Was anyone not all they cracked up to be? I won't name any names, but there are definitely some, yeah, you know, again, they're just like us. Just some normal people you come across are lovely and some normal people you come across are assholes. And I think that goes the same <laughs> celebrity. And, you know, 
to be fair, maybe you caught them on a bad day. They have a lot in their plates too, and who, who knows? But yeah, there were definitely certain people that I've dealt with in that genre that have been more pleasant than others. Yes. As sort of your first job in television, once you were doing it, did you feel like that's where you wanted to go with the rest of your career? You know, it took me a while because I still didn't quite understand it and how it all worked and how sustainable it was. So after this first job, this production assistant job that I did with E, I was on it for maybe three months or so. And then we're getting close to the holidays and they put us down for Christmas and then they brought us back after the first of the year. But they were telling me that, you know, they were only going to bring me back for maybe like a few weeks or maybe a month after the first of the year. And then we'd be done. I was like, what do you mean done? Done with what? And they're like, that's the job. And then you go and you find another job. I was like, what, 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 what do you mean? I want this job. I like this job. Why Why is this job ending? What Have I done something <laughs> wrong? And I didn't understand the freelancing aspect of it all. Nobody explained this to me. So some of the other more veteran producers on the show had to kind of pull me aside and they could clearly see that I was about to suffer a nervous breakdown. And they were like, no, 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 this is normal. You haven't done anything wrong. Totally fine. We're all going down for Christmas and then we're all going to come back for a month and then we will all go our separate ways and move on to something else. And that's just the way it works. And don't worry, you'll be fine. You're good. Nobody has died on your watch, which is great. So you will get work again. And I, you know, everybody promised they would, you know, keep me in mind for future gigs. But it was also foreign to me. I was so new, new to tell television as it was and then to add the extra layer of freelancing on top of it I didn't get it you know I thought a job's a job it's all year round you get a little bit of vacation here and there weekends off you know and that's pretty much what I thought about the working world because again my job experience prior to this was working at a department store or a tanning salon or waitressing so yeah I don't remember what your question was I just wondered whether you felt like at that point was there no turning back did you want to do tv for the rest of your life You know, I think it it was so early to tell. I knew that I really liked it. I knew that when they told me that the job was going to be ending soon, that I didn't like the sounds of that. Not just because a job was ending soon, but I really enjoyed what I was doing. I felt like, again, in my own mind, I felt like I kind of made it and her was hobnobbing with celebrities, which really means I was just making sure they had enough green tea and, you know, they had everything thing they needed in their in their green rooms but I loved it straight away and I guess I, I never really thought about like oh is this something I want to do the rest of my life or where do I want to go from here I just knew I didn't want it to stop I just knew I wanted to keep going in some capacity but I didn't know like where or when or how yeah so you get to the end of your contract on style star and what happens next so I get to the end of my contract I think the EP put me forward for another production assistant job with a friend of hers down the hall, also at E! or at Style Network, who was shooting a pilot for something. And so I jumped onto that beauty insider. So I did that for another maybe month or or so, month and a half. And then after that, you know, again, I I was starting to understand, oh, okay, this is ending now too. Now what do I do? Right? You know, I could count my TV contacts on both hands, you know? And so I was like, what do I do now? But I knew I wanted to be in LA. I didn't want to go back to Kansas City. I had seen too much. I'd experienced too much already at this point. I needed to make it work by 
any means possible. So, you know, I was a receptionist for a while at a couple investment firms. And the whole time, whenever I would meet different people at the firm, they'd be like, oh, where'd you come from? What'd you do before this? And I was always really proud to say, oh, well, normally I work at TV and I'm just doing this for now until something else comes along. I was such a brat. I had had two jobs at the time. Again, like getting coffee for people and making copies. But in my mind, I just really thought that, yeah, I guess I did think that I, I was gonna, you know, stay with it for a while, but I didn't know how. And then... Fast forward maybe like maybe five or six months after my last TV job, my associate producer that I worked very closely with on my first job at Style Star calls. And this was during the time of the MTV hit show Laguna Beach, which I was very into and watched all the time with my roommates and friends. And, you know, we'd call each other on the phone, my friends from home and talk about it. And I was obsessed with the show. Laguna Beach was such a new thing because you're watching it shot so beautifully. So it looks like a soap opera and you're like, is this scripted or is it not? Those look like microphone packs on their back. So maybe is that a prop? And again, not knowing that much about TV, I didn't really, I didn't understand what I was seeing, but I just knew that I loved watching the show. Anyway, so my associate producer from Style Star calls and she's like, hey, so I have landed myself a talent producing role on this MTV show called Laguna Beach and I am allowed to bring in an assistant. What are you doing right now? Would you be interested? I was like, what? What? Is this a real call? Yes. Yes. I'm interested. I want it. I'm your girl. I'm in. I'm in. So gave my notice at, at this place and they were all like super stoked for me. And I started working on Laguna Beach and that was my first reality show. And that was, that, that was a big one. You know, I was in the field. It was my first experience in the field. And I was basically living in Laguna Beach like four or five days out of the week. And my job in the show was talent coordinator, which is essentially, you know, yeah, you're assisting the talent producer and you're just liaising with the talent and the production and getting their story and making sure they're where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be, which isn't always an easy task when you're dealing with teenagers yeah and I did that for maybe like a year or so yeah and working on Laguna Beach you said that that was sort of your first taste of working in reality tv how did you find that I loved it I mean it it was a lot it was hard it was long days yeah my first experience working on reality and my first experience working in the field you know my first experience learning about cameras and really being on set and it's not a bad place to start. Like Laguna Beach is stunning. And that's your backdrop. That was location. That was where we were essentially living or driving down to a few times a week from LA. And the team that I worked on, I just feel like I've been very fortunate in my career in working with some of the best people because you can be working on a crappy shoot on a really bad show or have you know the cards stacked against you. But if you have a good team, I mean, it just... It doesn't feel like work, you know, and I've been really lucky. And Laguna Beach was one of those shows. Like, I was such a fan of Laguna Beach. So getting to work on that was like a dream come true, A. (laughs) B, I was so excited to get back into TV. And C, I met, like, God, some of the most interesting people, some of the people that I am still best friends with now, or I have, you know, one of my mentors that I have today is from that show. And yeah, I, I loved every minute of it. That was the show that made me think like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like the field was, was just a whole new thing for me. I, I loved everything about it. Yeah. As a fan of Laguna Beach, arriving on set, did you have any fangirl moments? Like, did you manage to contain yourself with the cast that you were obviously dealing so closely 
with? Well, lucky for, for them more than me, I worked on the third season. So like the Lauren Conrad's and the Kristen Cavallari, they had already graduated. They were gone. So this was the class just below them. They came through a couple of times and, you know, they would do like kind of cameo scenes once in a while just because they were off doing the hills at this point. But mostly I was dealing with a new class. And so I didn't know them. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did it that many fan moments. But still just being in Laguna Beach, being cl- that close to them. And a lot of them were friends with them. And then when they would come back in town, yeah, you definitely, you fan out a little. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think at this point, did you know that you wanted to be a producer? Is this how you sort of figured out that you wanted to be a producer? No, not yet. Because at this point, all I had known, I had two production assistant jobs and then my talent coordinating job. And in the production assistant job, I was dealing a lot with talent. And so I thought that I wanted to work with talent because I felt like I was good at it. And, you know, which I realized as a producer, you're also obviously working with talent and not all shows have separate talent producers. But for what I knew at the time, I thought that I wanted to do something in talent. And so once Laguna Beach wrapped, I got to talk to some of the other producers on the show and they were like, you know what? You would be really well suited for casting. Given your talent background, given your personality, like they kind of urged me to go down the the casting route. And I was like, oh, that's not a bad idea. So again, after Laguna Beach, you know, went down, went, had hiatus. I think I actually went back to one of the investment firms for a few months. And then while I was there, I got a lead from one of the producers on Laguna Beach saying that some woman she knew was heading up casting back at E for some show and I should send her my resume. So I eventually got onto this woman and went in for an interview and she ended up hiring me on and casting and I worked with her on several, several shows. And this was like 2005, 2006. And then so from then until, God, 2014 maybe the next seven or so years I just kept climbing climbing the casting chain I loved casting and that taught me a lot about producing because back in those days I loved it so much because I loved the field producing aspect of it say it's super nanny you know you go and you travel to the potential cast member's house and you shoot like you know a six or seven hour mini episode pretty much you shoot this this casting reel and you know you cut that down you present it to the network and you're like hey this is what an episode of super nanny could look like if you went with this family you know but now it's it's all via skype and you don't really travel out and get to meet them in person really anymore and you're not really getting that field producing aspect but that's what made me want to produce because I feel like I got like a little taste of that doing that in casting. Yeah, wow. So you spent seven years in casting. Can you talk through some of the, you know, shows that you're working on during that time? So in casting, I did lots of different like little shorter stint pilots. And there was a show, this was a really fun show. This was one of my earlier big shows that I cast for. Do you remember the singing group Pussycat Dolls? Yes. So back in like 2007, they had this pretty much like protege band show where it was called Pussycat Dolls Presents Girlicious. So Girlicious was the name of this new female group that they wanted to put together that was going to be like their protege band, right? So, you know, we had all these different casting teams. So we come on and it was really fun because like they'd give you cities, right? And so like my cities, 
I had great cities. I don't know how I scored these. I had Chicago. I had New York because I really sold my New York in the interview because they were asking like where you're comfortable outside of here. I was like, oh, I know New York like the back of my hand, blah, 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 which I didn't really. But, you know, I lived there for a summer and I visit my sister there a lot. Anyway, so I got Chicago. I got New York. I got, you know, a little bit of L.A. So basically you go there, you do your outreach beforehand. You call all the dance studios, the, the singing places, you know, and so you go to these cities and you set up shop in like a Starbucks and you know and you, you make your own schedule and you're like okay Jane Doe comes in at 1230 and she sits down and I'm interviewing her asking her my casting questions and then I bring her outside and I wouldn't record any of this is just for me so I know whether or not she's worth advancing on to the next round or not I take her outside and have her sing like you know a few bars of a song and I am not a music producer I know what I think sounds good but I could tell the difference between completely tone deaf and and you know having some sort of a talent I like to think and then you know, you make your little list of who you want to invite back for like the big audition that's going to be like in a few days, like in your city in Chicago, say it, say it is. When you say you take them outside, are they literally on the street outside Starbucks singing to you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, which looking back on now is really bizarre and kind of a weird way, I guess, to do things. But yeah, that's just the way that we did it, I guess, back then. And I don't remember if anybody actually ever told me to do this or if I just did this myself. I don't know how the other producers were doing it. I think everybody kind of had their own thing. But you had to make sure that they could sing because if you're vouching for them and then they show up to the open call that day and they're at the front of the line because you put them there and then they get there in front of like the panel of judges and all the executives and they can't carry a tune. And they're like, I'm sorry, who told you about the open call? Who gave you like a personal pass? And then they give your name. And you're like, oh, what? I don't know. She shouted <laughs> the day I had her. So, you know, you want to know that you could, you could back up your recommendations. You're basically giving recommendations. So that was a really, really fun show to work on. I mean, these girls were amazing and, and not just the girls that that I would have personally picked out, but you know, there's just, there's so much talent everywhere. There's so many talented people. And yeah, it was really cool. It was what I would imagine like American Idol auditions are like, you know, on a smaller scale, I guess. You said that you sort of climbed the ranks and what roles were you doing in casting? So I started as a casting assistant and then casting associate and then casting producer, casting director. And then from there, I kind of plateaued. I felt like I was like, well, what else is there to do? I don't think I really had the business mind to own my own casting firm. So I was like, I don't really know where to go from here. And then I was like, you know, I really want to try my hand at producing. And I worked on some great shows during casting. And on one of the shows I worked on called Beyond Scared Straight. It was this juvenile intervention program. And this was to this day, one of the most rewarding shows I've ever worked on. One of the most intense shows I've worked on, but one of the most rewarding here in America, a lot of the jails and prisons, they have these scared straight programs, which are targeted at, you know, young kids who are starting to show signs of early, like, childhood delinquency, you know, whether they're selling drugs or dropping out of school or skipping school or stealing or whatever it is. And so their parents bring them to these programs. They pretty much throw them in jail for the day, let these inmates shake them up and show them, hey, man, this is going to be you in two years if you don't straighten your act up. Anyway, so we would go to all these different jails and film these programs. We would cast the kids. They were kids that were already meant to go through the program, but we would choose the ones that we would want to film. Yeah, so that show was really awesome. And the executive producer was so great because he knew that I had a lot of experience kind of 
casting in like the more field producing way. And so he let me go out and field produce a few episodes, like, you know, help out, kind of learn how to field produce a few episodes in, in the jails. And that was awesome. And that was kind of unheard of back then for somebody in casting for the EP to like encourage you to cross over in that show. That just doesn't really happen here. Yeah, wow. So you were working on this in casting and then you got this opportunity to field produce on the series as well. What was it like working in the prison system? It was very eye-opening. This was the later end of my casting career. So I had already put seven or so years in and in casting, you know, you see and meet all walks of life. You learn about people and genres of people and areas of the country that you would have normally never have known about because casting for a show can be so niche. But anyway, so at this point, I thought that I had seen and done it all and nothing was going to phase me. But even before I started field producing on Beyond Scare Straight, just doing casting, you would go into the jails and you essentially casting the inmates. So it was really eye-opening and you feel a lot for some of the inmates because you're getting their stories from them and a lot of them just have really sad tough stories and it's kind of hard to hear but it makes you it makes you really uh, empathetic towards a lot of people who are in the prison system I think makes you want to take a second look at our system and our government and that's a whole nother thing but it also makes you feel really lucky to be on the outside and to have your freedom yeah, it was, it was it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And at this point, doing a bit of field producing and knowing that in casting, you had some field producing experience, basically, just the way the casting process worked over there. Did you sort of just get to a point where you thought, I want to get back into the field? Definitely, definitely. I had been trying to cross over for the last few years of uh, when I was doing casting. Like, I loved what I was doing and it provided me so many awesome opportunities that, again, I normally wouldn't have had but I knew that I just wanted a bit more I felt like I kind of plateaued and done everything that I wanted to do or could do in casting and I love the story producing aspect of it and I wanted to see that into fruition more you know what I mean I didn't want to just find these great people producer backstories and then hand it over to the producers I wanted to be the producer that they're handing it over to I wanted to produce that and see it through I wanted to be responsible for what you see at home on the show you know not necessarily just a casting part and then being able to go into the field on Beyond Scared Straight, that really solidified it for me because up until that time, I hadn't really field produced in the actual sense with like a field producing title. So, you know, getting to do that on that show and, and seeing that, oh, it is everything that I thought it'd be and so much more, it kind of, you know, validated for me like, yeah, this is what I want to do. But it, it's tough here. At least back then, it's hard here. Once you're in casting, you're kind of in casting. And if you try to go for producing roles, a lot of times they might just kind of look at it like, well, I see you've done a lot of casting, but what do you know about producing? You know, and, and it, it's unfortunate. I, I don't know if it's the same now. This was some time ago. But I got lucky that on that show that, you know, the executive producer, he knew that casting is producing and that, you know, obviously it needs a little tweaking and fine tuning. And I still had a lot to learn. But yeah, going in the field for that show definitely solidified me wanting to do that more. So how did you get into the field? After you'd done that one role, what was the turning point that sort of got you into the field? So backtrack, another like back to the Pussycat Doll days. After that show wrapped, I needed some work and one of my best friends had called me and said she's working with the casting director for Survivor right now, but they are currently looking for casting people just for like a quick two-week gig. It's like casting week. They needed, you know, some casting production assistance. Would I be interested? I was like, yeah, Survivor sounds 
great. That'd be great for my resume. So they hired me for that. I was basically just helping out with casting for the next season of Survivor. And I thought it was going to be just that, you know, just helping out. And then it turned out that after I was on with them for about a week or so helping out, they came to me saying there's a spot, open spot on location for two months. And would I be interested? And I was like, oh, and I, I, I knew what Survivor was at the time, but I wasn't like a super fan or anything like that. But I, of course, I knew what Survivor was. And all I knew of Survivor really was that it gets shot in some beautiful exotic island. So she didn't, they didn't even tell me where they were going. I just knew that I was going to get a free trip to some <laughs> exotic, beautiful land. And so I was like, yes, I'm in. I will do whatever you need me to do. So yeah, so that was a, like a chaperoning role. So I went out there. I was in Palau actually for two months with Survivor. What season was that? That was Micronesia. So season 16. And it was awesome. It was fun. Again, just an, another a new learning experience and it's something else new that I had never, I never even heard of Palau before this opportunity. That's amazing. I mean, Micronesia, it's like one of my favorite seasons. So when you first told me that that was your first season of Survivor, I remember just like almost dying. It was a good one. And yeah, that made me like a Survivor fan after working one, one season on the show. It was awesome. It was really, really cool. And that was, again, that was earlier days of my casting path. So I was kind of like, well, where do I go from here? (laughs) Once you've kind of done that, you know, where do you go from there? And I came home and it almost felt like all over again. I was like, oh man, I don't want it to end. I didn't want it to end. I wanted to stay out there forever and I wanted to go back the next season. But things were kind of shuffling around on the show and I don't remember exactly what happened, but I just did the one season on Survivor. Again, that was kind of the beginning of of my career here. It just started taking off and so I was getting a lot of casting work here. But I always kept Survivor in the back of my mind. I always thought in some capacity I wanted to go back on that show but I didn't think I wanted to go back and do casting I thought I wanted to go back and produce but I still didn't fully understand what that meant I still didn't fully grasp what exactly it is that a producer does I just knew that in my mind a a, a more integral part of the show and of the process and I wanted to be part of it yeah I love that and so then fast forward seven years later when I was on like my sixth season of Beyond Scared Straight uh, I had stayed friends with a lot of the Survivor crew over the year that's a very tight-knit crew. You know, I'd always kind of check in time to time, like, hey, is there any work available? You know, I'll, I'll do whatever. And, you know, everybody loves working on that show. So there's hardly ever any movement, right? Especially for what I wanted to do. I would have really had to start back at the bottom because I, I didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, so an opportunity came up. This was season 29 of American Survivor. So that was in Nicaragua, Blood versus Water. So they knew they were going to be doing an exile island element and they knew that I'd really been wanting to get back into it. And so a friend of mine from the show suggested that I email the EP and uh, throw my name in a hat. And, you know, we knew each other. We kind of ran the same circles. So I kind of emailed them. I was like, hey, I'm sure if you remember me. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course. And I was like, this has been my experience. You know, I would love to be considered for this role. And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I went in, I met with him and I really didn't know if I would get it or not. And he ended up hiring me. And I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. And it was it was kind of the perfect opportunity. That was my first real legit, I guess, field producing role, you know, like on a whole new series, not attached to casting. It was an awesome opportunity because being like an exile segment producer on the show. So I started as a segment producer. 
you're basically in charge of your own beach because on that show, usually you work with an immediate producer, but for Exile, you're kind of just running your own ship, which was really cool. So it taught me a lot. Yeah, wow. So working as a segment producer on Survivor, was it all it cracked up to be? Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, it's it's hard work. It's long days, but there's a lot of camaraderie, you know, and, and that really makes it awesome. And then just, you know, the first time you see just the physical grandness of the set and the challenges and everything it's it's pretty cool you just kind of feel like you're part of something really important and big and special and I totally drank the Kool-Aid but yeah I loved it (laughs) it was great it was great and so you stayed working on Survivor for a bunch of seasons after that so then I came back and I did post on that season so coming back and doing post is it normal for a segment producer or a field producer to follow that on in post? You know, in my experience, it's not super common here. There's a a handful of shows who have that model. I wish more shows did it that way. I think it's really helpful, you know, because there are a lot of times when you're in post and you're like, oh, I can't remember. Or, you know, you're like, oh, I don't know. Did this happen on this day or this day? And you know, if you were out there, you can remember. You're like, oh, wait, I was there that day. I, I can tell you, I remember. It was This guy went over here and he had this conversation with her. And it's just an, such an asset, I think. So I think that's a really smart way of doing things. But no, not all shows do it that way. And I think the biggest obstacle is is just time, just delivery time. They don't have that luxury of being able to have you roll back in a post. They have to be posting it as you're shooting a lot of times on a lot of shows. Yeah. So I did that. And then the following year, I had the opportunity to go back on Survivor as a different kind of a segment producer in Cambodia. In the Australian industry, we don't really have, in reality, TV segment producers. Is there any way that you can kind of explain what a segment producer is compared to the Australian industry? Like, what's the difference between a field producer and a segment producer in the US? So a segment producer typically supports the field producer or the producing team, depending on the show. So I would say it's similar to like an associate producer or junior producer in Australia. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard of segment producers in in other areas of television in Australia, but for reality TV, yeah, we kind of have the associate producer, story producer. It's interesting because I know that like being a story producer in Australia is a little different than being a story producer here. Typically, a story producer here is more like a post producer. Yes. Yeah, usually you work more like in post or with with post and and some story producers still go into the field, but almost like representing post, making sure that they're getting pickups or certain things that they need to cover for post. Yeah, that's interesting. So a story producer in the US is a post producer in the Australian industry and a field producer works in the field, which is what a story producer in Australia does. But we kind of interchange the term of story producer or field producer. Right. So it's all a bit of a mess, really. Right. It really is. It really is. Okay. So you were doing sort of segment producing, and then what happened? So I did a couple of seasons as a segment producer on Survivor in Cambodia. And then the following year, I think, I went back to Survivor, but in post. And then in working in post, the opportunity came up to move into a producer position, I would jump up from segment producing, and in producing the what we call the roll-in packages for the live show. And so that's basically like the background packages that you see like at the live show of like, here's, you know, hey, Haley, tell us what 
what happened here this night at tribal? And then you cut to, you know, a package of you giving somebody your idol at tribal council or whatever it is. And so I was the role and producer for one of the Cambodia seasons. And then I segment produced on a show called Long Lost Family. So I was kind of like teetering. Like I had just kind of started field producing a little bit, but then I went back to segment producing because I was so new to field producing. I wasn't like really getting those calls yet, you know? From what you've said, it is like that thing when you're at that point where you're ready to move up, but people still recognize you from working with you as kind of that segment producer. So it's like, it's two things. It's, you know, having enough contacts to know that you're now a field producer and also just, the positions being available because like you said with survivor people don't leave right yeah so i <laughs> and that was the thing like even though when i first went back on survivor like being a segment producer i knew was kind of starting back over again because i had come so far in casting and a lot of people were like you're crazy why would you leave casting you're going to take a huge pay cut you're going to start back doing the grunt work at the bottom but i was like i just wanted it so badly you know what i mean i didn't care i was willing to start back at the bottom i think that's what you find with people in tv though there are a lot of people that we work with and you know they are really passionate i think most of us at one point or another have had to take a step back to actually be doing what we want to do and if if you love it, it it's worth it yeah i i think so too like when i was trying to make the jump from casting to producing it took a few years there and then it took me a long time to to make the jump from segment producing to field producing because i would get a field producing gig but then i kept getting hired more for segment producing gigs and i'm like well i can't just hold out for a field producing gig when this job is willing to hire me for the next nine months and it's a steady paycheck and you know it was hard and then when i did long lost family i segment produced the whole time and then towards the end i got a couple field producing opportunities and then they thought I was so great that they kind of gave me my own baby to be in charge of, which was awesome. I, I got to produce and oversee an entire digital six-part series. It's pretty much like a spinoff of Long Lost Family, like a follow-up special. And I did everything from like prep all the way through, you know, field through post, which was awesome. And then I feel like from there, not only resume-wise, I think that gave me the confidence. And I was like, okay, now I'm good. Now I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and Long Lost Family, like, that would have been just a beautiful show to work on. It is one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. It is such such a special show. It's interesting because it goes back, like, what I was saying, like, when I was way younger and, like, working in shoes and working in the service industry, I knew I wanted to help people, whether it was selling them the perfect pair of shoes or bringing them their favorite tacos. I was wanted to make people happy. And like, if you get the opportunity to do that in any capacity while making television, doing something you love, then I think you're winning. And like, that was one of those really cool shows where I got to do all of those things. Yeah, and I think what you were talking about in the early days of, you know, social work and thinking maybe that's something, you know, that's all stuff that probably when you combine that with working in television and working on something like Long Lost Family, that kind of is the perfect job. Yeah, well, thanks, Haley, because I've been trying to explain that to my parents for years to justify the money that they paid for my college education, (laughs) that it hasn't completely (laughs) gone to waste. 
But I think it's true. I think what I did study in school, because it's so much sociology and psychology, and it's just dealing with people, you know, in any, in any capacity, whether it's in social work or like I had mentioned earlier, one of the lines of work I originally thought I wanted to go into when I was studying in college was family therapy. And as a producer, you know this, like how many times have you finished an interview and, and the person you're interviewing is like, oh my God, that was so cathartic. I feel like I just had a therapy session because you're digging and you're digging and you're helping them get to this realization of maybe you're not trying to do you're trying to get answers but in turn they're like oh I never thought about it like that actually now that I'm saying this I just had it on a moment and you know so I don't know again maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid but I think what we do is pretty cool and I think we are helping people in certain situations I know right and I mean producers get a bad rap but I feel like we're right? all bad we're <laughs> All right. Well, I guess you worked on The Australian Survivor and that's obviously how we know each other. Before we sort of go into that, I guess it's worth noting that Survivor probably has a special place in your heart because you met your husband on Survivor. I did, which I have not mentioned yet. Working in reality TV, if nothing else, it has given me like my best friends and, you know, amazing life experiences and a husband. He, uh, he can hear me. <laughs> when I did my first season of American Survivor, my husband was working on the show in the Marine Department. So he was kind of like water safety kind of thing at the time. And so, yeah, I had met him on that season. Is that a train coming? That is a train coming. Hold for train, please. <gasps> That's nothing. You should. Oh, wait. All right. We're good. So the season that I was chaperoning, I met my now husband on one of the, you know, the chaperone, you kind of like one of the jobs is you just make sure that, you know, the contestants are happy and they're staying active and I'm not just going completely crazy and bored. This is after they've been voted out, right? Exactly. Exactly. After they've been voted out. Yeah. So we're keeping them busy and we had an activity planned for them one day and my husband was one of the crew who was helping out. And then, yeah, we kind of hit it off and we stayed in touch. He's from Australia, actually. He's Australian. And I eventually lured him to America and he ended up moving here like a few years later. He also works in the television industry as well. So we're kind of a big old TV family. TV power couple. I mean, watch out J&B. So essentially, Dan Boyd is the art director of Australian Survivor. So he has been on Australian Survivor since series one. And yeah, I guess, how did you come to be a producer on Australian Survivor? Because you weren't working on Australian Survivor from the start. No, I wasn't. When Dan first got the call for Australian Survivor, I had actually interviewed with the EP. But I think what was happening was the location that they were filming for the first couple seasons, there was something funky about like Americans working there, like the visas or something. And because Dan is an Australian passport holder, it was all fine. But for me, I couldn't really go over until they started filming in Fiji. So the EP emailed me and said that the location had changed for, for the new season of Survivor. And if I'd be keen to come on board, she'd love to have me. And I knew Dan was going to be there. And I knew I would probably most likely be the only American on set. But it just, it sounded awesome. Awesome because I love the Survivor franchise. I love my time working on it and I wanted to do it in a greater role. You know what I mean? I guess what made you want to work on the Australian Survivor format? 
So I've always loved the Survivor franchise. I loved my time working on it. And I was excited for a new opportunity. You know, Dan had said great things about working on it. He said the crew was awesome. He said the team across the board, you know, is top notch. And, you know, it was a different opportunity because, again, on the American Survivor, because everybody loves working on that show so much, there's not a lot of movement. And because Australian Survivor was a bit newer, well, much newer, there was a little more flexibility, it felt like. But to have the opportunity to go back and kind of fulfill my desire that I had for wanting to produce on a big show like that in the field, I was totally on board. So for you, it wasn't just about, you know, the idea that you could be working away with your husband. It was also the fact that it was Survivor. Absolutely. Yeah. Working away with my husband is always great. We had the chance to do that a few times, you know, on the American show in Nicaragua and Cambodia. And it's always great, you know, much nicer than when he's away for six months at a time or I'm away and we don't get to see each other. So that was definitely a huge plus. But yeah, also, I thought that it was kind of a chance for me to kind of get back and and work in the field on a show that I loved. And were you excited to kind of bring, you know, expertise and experience from American Survivor to Australian Survivor? I was excited, but I was also a bit cognizant of it. Like a couple things. I knew that the team had worked together very closely before and I didn't want to come on as this new kid, you know, from American Survivor thinking that she knew everything there was and she's going to come in and tell us what's what and how things should be run and how things are run over there. So I was really cognizant of that. Not that I would have ever done that, but you know, you never know how other people are going to view you and just being the new kid and coming in to this crew that was seemingly very tired and had all known each other for a long time. I just wanted to be really careful of that. So, you know, there are definitely times when people would ask my opinion, like, oh, what do you think? Or how would you do this on on your show and whatever, which was fine. But it was really cool to see the similarities and, and the differences. Yeah, like my very first season was, I might have been one of my favorite seasons. Yeah, because you came in for season three of Australian Survivor. Like you said, you know, you noticed those differences and similarities. What were the biggest differences you noticed between how we do it on Australian Survivor compared to US Survivor? Well, let's start with similarities. I think there are a lot of similarities between working in American TV and working in Australian TV. I mean, the only Australian television I've worked on is Survivor, so it's all I have to really compare it to. But given that show, like especially for, for a show like Survivor, it's such a massive on-taking. It's such a big production. It does really involve like so many cooks in the kitchen, like stuff that you don't see on TV, like all the different departments. And I think you really need to have that one team, one dream kind of mentality because without that, you're just kind of fighting each other. The departments are fighting each other for this and that, and you really need to work together. And those are two big similarities to both of the shows, which I don't know how it would work any other way. Television obviously has a lot of lingo and phrases for what we do. Was there any kind of differences that you noticed or any confusing situations that you experienced when you sort of started working on an Australian production? One of the first experiences I had working for Australian Survivor, I was talking to one of the EPs before I was going to go shoot a background package. And, you know, she's explaining to me the kinds of things that she wanted to get from the contestant. And she's like, so when you're doing a Voxy, you want to make sure that you're doing X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And she just kept using this term Voxy. And I was like, yep. Got it. And she's like, so like, typically when you Voxy, like, you know, what do you do? And how do you set it up? And blah, blah. And she just kept asking about this. And I was like, 
as I was talking to her, I really had no idea what she was talking about. And like in my mind, I never heard this term Voxy before. When she first said it, like my mind immediately went to Broadway and like vaudeville for some reason. And I'm just like picturing like at the Copa, Copa Cabana. And I really had no idea what she was talking about. This is one of the many things that I had to had to look up at first and come to find out a Voxy is just the same thing as an OTF or like an on-the-fly interview. But that was one of the first, I guess, Australian television terms that I had to learn. And then one of my favorite things about Australians as a culture, and it also comes out when you're working in television, Australians love to abbreviate everything and nickname everything and give everything like cute, you know, like wizzly-wazzle names. And so everything has like its own little name. So that kind of took a minute to kind of learn those, you know, just little things like in instead of interview, it's IV and which these are all, you know, are second nature now. And now I use a lot of these terms here, which is interesting. So I'll be working on something here and I'll be like, well, you know, yesterday in IV, so-and-so said this and this. And my like an American EP or producer will look at me and be like, I'm sorry, where LV Las Vegas what what where were you yesterday what happened and it's just it's really interesting because now because I've worked with an Australian production company for several seasons now I've adopted a lot of their terminology and brought it over here and people are still are looking at me the same way that I was looking at I'm sure you guys <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> So you've been in the television industry for sort of around 17 years now. Can you run through some of the shows that you've worked on in your time? Yeah, so, man, 17 years. So I've done all kinds of shows from Laguna Beach to Super Nanny to World's Strictest Parents to Beyond Scared Straight, Long Lost Family, a bunch of random pilots that will never see the light of day, but they were fun to work on. Selling Sunset, Australian Survivor, American Survivor. Yeah. And from all that, do you have a favorite show? Oh, God. It's like trying to choose your favorite child. I realize everyone has one. You're just not supposed to talk about it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I definitely have my favorites for different reasons. Like, I love Long Lost Family because I think it was was really rewarding. Similar to Beyond Scared Straight, I feel like you have the opportunity to really help people and make a change in people's lives. But then working on Survivor, on American Survivor and Australian Survivor have been, honestly, some of the best times of my life because you may not be saving the world, but... People who want to be on a show like Survivor, most of them have wanted to be on that show their entire lives. The contestants on that show want to be there. And most of them, you know, deem themselves pretty lucky to be there. And so it's pretty cool, you know, like helping people or or working with people who are kind of realizing like a lifelong dream. Yeah, definitely. And surely the husband factor has to tip Survivor on the scales. It, it does. It definitely does. Yeah. Look, I'm a survivor has been very good to me. So, so much of my life, I, I owed a survivor. Like, seriously, like my whole friend group here, they're all survivor friends, mostly. It's a huge family here, which I feel very lucky to be part of, which I would imagine is really similar to how it is in Australia, too. I think when you're in the trenches with people like that. When you're working on a show like Survivor with people day in and day out, you know, long hours and in the elements, you you really form a special kind of bond with your team and you really learn to rely on each other because you can't do it all. You can't do it all yourself. Like it really does take a village. You really need to know that people have your back. And I have 
felt that on both of those shows. And yeah, Australian Survivor, of course, is a very special place in my heart. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like surviving cyclones, gastro and a whole lot of tarot to really bond a group of people. It's so true. It's so true. And if you can get through that and then... <laughs> you know, come out the other end laughing about it at the end of the day, then that's great. Yeah, I, I definitely owe a lot in my career and my personal life to Survivor. Yeah, we all love Survivor. <laughs> I think that's been the link in my podcast. It all comes back to Survivor. It really does. It's so funny. It really does. For you, like, what do you think the best part of working in reality TV is? I think my personal favorite part, maybe it's twofold. Well, the underlying theme for me is the people. And that goes both ways. That has to do with the cast of these shows. When you get to work with really special cast members and you get to tell their stories in a way that may not have been told otherwise, or you know, you help them heal in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. And then the people also that you are doing it with, that you're working alongside with. Again, I've been really fortunate where I've made some of like the best friends of my life working in television. So I'd say for me, it's it's the people. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, what is the worst part about working in oh, reality God. TV? <laughs> the hours, the time that it sucks out of your life. <laughs> You're going to get back. Look, it's long hours, it's long days, it's it's relentless. Even when you're on your day off, you're still talking work, you're still thinking about work, you're still checking emails, you know, but that's the that's the life of a producer. And the show doesn't stop. But I think that's also the beauty of freelancing is, you know, you work your ass off and you give your 150% for three, four months of a shoot. And then after that, you get to relax, you know, you can work as little or as much as you want. You can take a month off and go travel. You can take a month off and just go hide out, turn your phone off and hang out with your family that you haven't talked to in four months because you've been away. So I, I really, I like the balance that it offers. And uh, for somebody who was so foreign to the life of a free freelancing back in my earlier days like I love it now I I don't know if I could have like a normal job like a normal nine to five job now you know I I like the flexibility yeah and I love this question because I feel like as producers we always are constantly in really bizarre scenarios and situations what is the weirdest thing that you've ever done in television oh god where do I start I've definitely had those moments where, do you guys get the show Unreal there? Yeah. So I've definitely had my Unreal moments, which I'm sure we all have, <laughs> where you're like hiding in the back of a car and you're on the ground while the camera is shooting like the, the cast while you're hiding at their legs and their heels are like stomping on you and you're trying not to get like kicked in the face and you're like quietly texting. Yep. Coming around the corner now, boss, here we come. Yep. Okay. Here we come. And you're like just curled up in the car. Like, I feel like those moments are just like, what am I doing with my life? Look at me, mom. I've made it. I'm in Hollywood. <laughs> like it, those are always just so funny to me. It's like, what is happening? Like the things that we, we do to, for TV, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't the weirdest thing you've ever done, but I just remember like when I think of you, well, I mean, no, that's that's not fair. Not when I think of you, but whenever I see you wearing your green sunglasses, I always think <laughs> of the time that you dropped your favorite pair of Ray-Bans down the port loo on a morning in Fiji yep. and fished them out. They're, and they're here somewhere. 
I just took them off an hour ago. So these glasses, backstory on these sunglasses, just to further defend myself. I have had these glasses for maybe four, almost five years. And that is the longest I've ever held on to single pair of sunglasses. A and B, they don't make them anymore. They don't make this color anymore. People will stop me on the street asking me about my glasses. Like, I love these things. They're great. Anyway, so we're in Fiji and we don't have the luxurious five-star set up in, in bathrooms that I think some of the contestants might think that we have while they're all struggling on, on the beach. But we have port that we use when we're on set. And so I was sneaking off to go use the bathroom and I had my sunglasses up on my head and I, you know, did, did, did my thing. I get done. I stand up. I go to flush the toilet and I had to bend over a bit to flush the toilet. And my sunglasses slipped off of my head and down the toilet. <laughs> so I so they drop into the toilet, down the hole, and I am just standing there with my mouth open and I'm like, what do I do? And I really had like an outer body experience of like, I really love these sunglasses, but am I actually considering like diving into this toilet to find them? Because it's it's not just a normal, like it's basically, it, almost, it looks like a long drop, right? So there's all kinds of stuff down there lurking that you don't want to know is down there that you shouldn't <laughs> ever know is down there. And I was seriously considering diving in there. And then I was like, wait, is this crazy? I need to go uh, reassess this. So I walk outside, one of the local girls who kind of works with us and, and helps us out of these precarious moments we seem to get ourselves into was sitting there and I had explained to her what happened. And she's like, hold on, come with me. She didn't really say that. I don't think she actually speaks much English, but she understood what I was saying. So she has me follow her. I watch her put gloves on, <gasps> rubber gloves. And I was like, oh no, she's going to go in. Oh no, no, no. I don't want to make her go in. I mean, I didn't want to go in, but I wasn't, I didn't want to make her go in either. So she goes in there and luckily they, the trucks had just come and emptied the, the toilet. So essentially, so theoretically all that was in there was what I had just done, which I just peed, but still like when they dump them, they're not like cleaning out the bottom. There's still like some unsavory like things that you don't want to know about <laughs> at the bottom. Like, oh my God, it's so gross. Anyway, so this poor woman, bless her heart, goes in there and with gloves, she gets them for me. They're not looking pretty. I was like, oh my God, what do I take them? I'm like, well, I, yeah, I just made her go in there and get them. So I had gloves on myself at this point. I take them, I go and I like hose them off. I wash them off. I sanitize them with every kind of disinfectant, spray, towel situation that I could find and I kept them and I still wear them to this day. Like, I don't know. I just don't know whether they were worth salvaging. So worth it. So worth it. I stand by my decision and I would do it again. I will say they didn't smell great the rest of the day, even after I had cleaned them. But that night my husband took them and I don't know what he did to them. If he just like power washed them or what, but he soaked them and scrubbed them and made some potions and some mixtures. And by the time he gave it back to me, they literally smelled and looked like brand new glasses. Bless that man. Bless that man. <laughs> Never going to location again without him. So what advice would you give someone starting out in television? Be open to everything. Say yes to every opportunity because you never know who you're going to meet and what future opportunity that could lead you to. So just 
say yes to everything. You will learn so much from every little thing you do. Even if you feel like you're above something, guess what? You're not. (laughs) And even if you still really feel like you are, like you'll always meet new people that'll lead you to other opportunities. Yeah. I think that's good advice, you know, for you. You just walked into that that building at E. That's kind of what started it all for you. A hundred percent. And yeah, I think about that a lot. And I think about even further back, like my sister being the all-knowing sage big sister that she is, encouraging me to come to New York that summer and get that internship. Because without that, I don't think I would have ever, why would have I I've ever have thought to go into television or to walk into E or seek, seek that field out in, in any way, you know? So again, say yes to everything. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned your sister. Your sister, obviously, she still works in television. Your husband works in television and you work in television. Is it nice having people around you that really get what you do? It's really nice. It's really nice. And most of our friends also work in television. So, yeah, maybe we're those obnoxious people who only talk TV at all times. But no, it is really nice because I've definitely been in relationships with people who didn't really understand television. And sometimes people who don't understand it don't always get like, well, why do you have to cancel plans? And what do you mean you don't know if you're going to have to work on this day? And, you know, because our, our lives and our schedules are just always so up in the air. And not everybody can be the understanding to that because most people don't work like that. Yeah. I want to get to the quick fire questions. Oh God, I'm really bad with, okay, yeah, let's do it. Okay. What is your favorite reality TV show to watch? Kardashians. What was your last TV show you watched? Zero, zero, zero. Who is the most famous person you've met through working in television? Oh my God. Kim Kardashian. (laughs) I know there's somebody, I know there's somebody else. I'm just not, I'm blanking on it right now. What is your dream show to work on that you haven't already worked on? I would love to work on a cooking show, like a master chef. Best location you've been to for work? Fiji's pretty good. Fiji's pretty up there. What canceled TV show needs to make a comeback? Arrested Development. If you could be on any reality TV show, what would it be? Uh, Big Brother? That's not convincing at all. Like, <laughs> I think the stars would be fun. Okay, go again. If you could be on any reality TV show, what would you be on? Dancing with the Stars. If you could have dinner with any celebrity, dead or alive, who would it be? Bob Marley. That would be a fun time. So fun. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you, Haley. This was great. Yeah, this was this was really fun talking about myself. <laughs> I think I'll let you go and get back to your evening and your husband. All right. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show to get all the latest steps directly into your podcast feed. And while you're there, I would love if you could leave a review. It just helps other people to find the podcast. Love this podcast? You can support Beyond Reality through the Buy Me A Coffee program. It's up to you how much you give and there's no ongoing obligation. Head to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash beyondrealityau or click through the link in the show notes to make a contribution.